commissions here, some of these kind of things. But I really do believe that, that in, in our lives today, right now, there are heroes. I, I just don't think that most of these heroes are defined uh, like that by society. I really believe that a lot of the people that are defined as, oh, by the way, Josh is not feeling well this morning. He was in the hospital all night last night. Josh, you, go, you don't feel good, buddy? You need to go sit in the foyer? He had food poisoning. Wait for the door to close. Liz had food poisoning too, but she's tougher. So, <clears throat> all right. So, um, so I really do believe that there, that there are heroes around us all the time. I, I do. I, I believe that many of you are heroes in ways that, that you may not process, and society doesn't process this. I, I believe this very strongly. I believe that being a parent, uh, specifically in this context today in society, if you're serving God and you're really trying to to, to rear children in God, I believe that's hero status kind of stuff. I, I, think, we, I think we underestimate really what, what, is, what is pulling our country forward and making us great in a lot of different ways. And we put it like these superstars and sports and Hollywood people. Those, those people aren't heroes. They, they make hundreds of millions of dollars to, to pretend. Um, and the actors do too. And so uh, I, I don't think that they're necessarily heroes. I, I think we were talking about this the other day. Emily and I were talking and we were... Emily's been stressing a little bit of what she's going to do with her life, and, and uh, she graduates high school, and nowadays, you, almost by the time you get in junior high, you better know your whole life plan. You better have it all written out, and, and uh, one day she wakes up, and she's like, I'm graduating tomorrow. I don't know what I'm doing, and so um, she stressed over that, and she doesn't, so she doesn't know, so we were like, take some classes, do something. It does, you know, just go forward. Just, you'll figure it out kind of thing, and she mentioned a couple months ago that, that she really thinks that that maybe she's just supposed to be a, a wife and a mother, and that, that's what she feels like God has created her for kind of thing. And it's almost like she said that apologetically. And in today's society, you know, you can be pushed. Women, you've got to go out and be the, the CEOs of a major company or something else, or you're not really trying. You're not, you, you've forsaken the womanhood, uh, you know, all this other kind of stuff, and I, I just don't believe that. I, I believe that the most important thing, men or women in this room, most important thing you'll ever do is be a, a spouse, be a parent, um, guide somebody else in life along those kind of things. I, even things like being aunts and uncles, and those are important, those are very vital, important roles, and I think we, I think we minimize those. And so with that, I, I mean, I do believe that there's the firemen and the military and first responders. I believe those are all heroes. I do. I, I very much respect what those people do. But at the same time, I also think um, being mom's a big deal. You know, being dad's a big deal. In fact, if we put more emphasis on that in our country, our country would be better all the way across the board. Now, with that being said, I, I want to focus on something that I really do believe is, is like hero status, okay? I, I'm not making this, I'm not just making this for this weekend. This is missions weekend. But I want to talk about missionaries, and I really do believe that missionaries are in, in a in a hero status kind of mentality. Now, I want to define this a little bit because years ago, uh, first five or ten years I was in ministry, I would, I would, I would, I would say that um, we're all missionaries. You know, if you're, you're, we're, as Christians, we're all supposed to be missionaries, which means we're supposed to preach the gospel. And I do believe that we're all supposed to be witnesses, but I don't believe that we're all missionaries. I believe that's a different category. And over the years, I've realized this to the, and to the point where we have a very um, intentional focus and a, a little bit limited uh, mentality of missions around here at Church of Bargate. You can go online. Uh, at different times we've had it posted at different places in the foyer and in the sanctuary. But you can go online and look at what we believe uh, is, our, is our goal as, as part of our missions, our missions department here at the church. One of the things is, is 75% of all of our missions resources that we send out 
is going to go to least reach and unreach people groups. That's a big deal. One of the things that has happened over the last 20, 30 years, in fact, I've, I've had this conversation with a guy named Greg Mundus. He's in charge of all of the missions for the Assemblies of God, and he and I have discussed this a handful of times. But one of the things that I think has, has really been hindering the, the direction and the forward moving of the Assemblies of God world missions over the last couple of decades is we've really watered down what missions is and what a missionary is and what their, what their direction and what their goal is. And we've allowed just about anything to be classified as a missionary, and then they can get financial support for it. I, I can give you examples all day long of things that you would say, somebody really said that was being a missionary and they wanted support. I, I got um, I got a um, phone call one time. Well, actually, I, a couple different ways. I've got this similar phone call where somebody says, I believe that God has called me to take teenagers uh, on camping trips into the mountains a few times a year. And, and uh, the Simmons of God has given me missionary status. I'd like to get support. And I tell them, we're not going to support that. I take, I've been taking kids into the mountains for years on camping trips. My own, Royal Rangers. I'm not a missionary. I'm just a guy doing Christian things. That's a different subject. That's not missionary. One of the things that we've, that we've really started to readdress in Simmons of God World Missions is that missionary is cross-cultural and it's about the gospel. It's not social focused, although social agenda can be part of it. It's not social agenda. It's not social focused. It's gospel presentation focused. That's mission. That's what we'll support. There's a lot of missionaries out there that don't do that. We're not picking on what God, they feel like God has called them to do. But at Church of Briargate, we're going to support missionaries that are about the gospel and missionaries that are cross-cultural. Now, we do have home missions, but that's a small percentage of what we do. <clears throat> that is a missionary. They are doing some things that are extremely vital, important. But, uh, but what we're putting our attention and our focus to is this cross-cultural taking the gospel. And an element that has really become important is sacrificial. And this is something that, this is where I want to go to this. Years ago, I was, um, I, I was a kid in church, about uh, eight or nine years old. <clears throat> and some missionaries came to my church and it changed me. It changed me in a, in a great way. In fact, I really believe that one of the reasons that I'm standing here today is because of that day. It's one of those definitive, it changed everything about me kind of thinking. And, uh, and, and the missionaries were the Elliots. This is, um, these are five guys. The, very guy, the guy in the very middle there is Jim Elliott. Uh, the other guys are uh, Nate Saint, Ed McCauley, Roger Uterian, and Pete Fleming. Now this story of this, some of you may know the story, but these guys... Um, they decided, the, as very young men, early 20s, they decided that they were going to go and uh, take the gospel into Ecuador, into to unreached um, uh, natives in Ecuador. And by the way, there are still quite a few people groups, uh, villages, people groups in um, uh, Latin America and Ecuador and stuff like that that are unreached, okay? Um, but they decided they're going to take the gospel into these groups. And so they, one of the guys, Nate Saint, he was an air, air, uh, airplane pilot, and so they got a little plane, and they began to uh, take the gospel into, or they began to fly over Ecuador and looking around. They spotted villages. They started marking these on the map. Then they started, uh, the villagers started kind of coming out and trying to connect with them and see them. <coughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and they tried to build a, a rapport with them. Then they, they, so they're in a plane. They're not in a helicopter because of the distance. A helicopter couldn't have got to where they were going. And so they were trying to figure out how can we get stuff down? How can we get gifts and things or, or food or something down? And they realized this was one of the cooler things of the story when I heard it. But 
they realized that, um, that if they flew in a circle, a certain size circle at a certain speed, that they could lower a bucket down with a rope, and that bucket would stay still right in the middle. And they're flying around like this, and the bucket just hovers right in the middle of that, and the villagers could come out and get stuff out of the bucket and do that. And that's how they figured out how to get, uh, get gifts and um, food and things to these villagers. After doing that for a while, they finally realized it's time. And, and, the, and the specific area that they're going into <clears throat> and the village that they were going to connect with was considered by everybody in that area, including other villages, as to be the most violent, murderous uh, village. And so they finally decided it's time that we actually land the airplane. So they got a little uh, beach area that was near this village, and they, they landed the plane and began to try to connect with these uh, natives there uh, and, and try, to, try to figure out what's going on. And this is in the 1950s. And, uh, and they, they was, it, was, it was sparse at first. They had to do things to try to, you know, convince them that they're there and be nice to them and stuff like that. And after a while, they began to actually develop a little bit of relationship. And, and one of the, um, one of the uh, Indians actually would come out and, <clears throat> and begin to hang out. In fact, let's go to the next picture. <clears throat> next one after that. Those are them. So the, the, um, I'm going to change it up just a little bit. Can you go forward one, and then I'm going to go back to this one in a second. Okay, this is one of the uh, uh, villagers that would come out and connect with uh, the guys. Now, others did too, but this was kind of the guy that showed the most boldness. And so this, this picture and the next picture, go to that one, they, they are convincing this guy to actually get up in the airplane with them and fly with them in the airplane. They finally convince this guy. This is, this is weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks that they're working. Finally, they convince the guy to fly in the airplane. And uh, he flies around a couple times. They land back on the beach. This guy actually goes back to the village and tells the leaders of the village that, that, the, uh, that these Americans had some bad intentions. Um, since then, he said he, he doesn't know why he did it, but he, he said this. So the villagers come out the next day, early in the morning, and they attack uh, these five guys and... In, uh, on January 8, 1956, they killed all five of these missionaries, stabbed them with spears, killed them there on the beach. Now I'll go back to pictures. The woman that was telling me this story is this. She was a missionary. This is Elizabeth Elliot. And this is the point that changed me forever, really. She began to explain that over the next year to year and a half, God really began to work with her and and. She knew that God had called them to these uh, Indians in Ecuador. And so she took, now go forward three pictures, she took her and her daughter and they went back to this village with Nate Saint's sister and these two women went back to this village and became missionaries to the people that killed their husband and brother. And I'm listening to her tell this story and she said, and she was a missionary there for quite a few years. An eight saint sister literally lived there the rest of her life. And she said, God had called us to those people. That didn't change just because they killed my husband. Now, I want to tell you, from my perspective, that's hero. That's hero in a way that, that many of us may never ever, ever see. This isn't, this isn't some athlete that gets paid a, way amounts of money to play a football game on a few hours on an afternoon. This is somebody that says, you murdered my husband, and you need Jesus Christ, and I'm going to go back and be a missionary to you. That's, that's mind-boggling to me. 
Now, I don't, I'm not saying this just because this is missions weekend, but again, I do believe that our missionaries today, there, there's no difference today, okay, that our missionaries today are truly heroes. These are people that are saying, I will give up some of the things, most of the stuff that we take for granted on a regular basis, things like electricity and running water all the time. Lynn and I visited her parents in Africa one time, and this is not considered, you know, really backwards uh, area. They were in a, in a city, a metropolitan city, but they got water two hours a day. And they were, they were like, yeah, we were excited because there was other places in that same city that got water about two times, two hours a week. <clears throat> there are places that our missionaries go today that still have no electricity. There are places that our missionaries go that they have to deal with a lot of stuff that, that we in America don't process. We, we've got so much you can walk down to a Walmart and get just about what you need at any moment. One of the things that missionaries will tell you, and we've got missionaries and kids of missionaries in this room right here. One of the things that, and, and I saw this personally with my mother-in-law, that they've been in, in the other country, wherever they are, for a handful of years, and they come back to America, and they go to a grocery store, and they're overwhelmed by the amount of choices. One time, we, we were in Walmart, and, and Linda's mother was sitting there staring at brooms. She wanted to get a broom, but there were too many choices. She didn't know what to do with this many choices of brooms. The things that we take for granted here in America We've got families that will uproot everything and go to other countries. And one of the things that I'm really, really proud of and enjoying seeing right now is some of the movements within our greater movement of the Assemblies of God World Missions. In fact, one of these, a movement called Live Dead, we've talked about this a lot. This is a missionary movement. In fact, when it first started, it wasn't really like Assemblies of God World Missions. It was like a countercultural <clears throat> movement within the Assemblies of God World Missions where these, this group of people got together and said, we're, this is not the way they said it, but this is what they were saying. We're going to take back our missions movement, and we're going to make it about missions again, and we're going to make it about the presentation of the gospel again, and we're going to make it about going to difficult, challenging places again. And overwhelmingly, the people that are jumping on board are young people. It's, it's not 30, 35-year-olds. These are 23-year-olds, 25-year-olds that are saying, we're going to go to, to Saudi Arabia. We're going to go to Iran. We're going to go into Uzbekistan. We're going to go into the middle of Russia somewhere that is completely Muslim or, or completely Coptic to where they don't want even evangelical Christianity in there. And we're going to witness and we're going to tell people about Jesus. I'm excited about this movement. I'm excited about what we're seeing. One of the things that I've also noticed <clears throat> with this, now I sit on the board of Bible College in Texas, so I'm not anti-Bible College. I, I'm very much, it's a university, but I'm very much about Christian universities, okay? I'm very much. But one of the things that we're seeing is coming out of Christian universities, in fact, the one that we're with down there, they are, they are leading the nation in Christian universities with how many missionaries come out of that school and go to mission fields across the world, all right? It's, it's in the... Uh, in the, in the uh, 10 to 20 to 30 range every year of missionaries to go. And that's a lot compared to most schools out there, okay? This, this, uh, there's movements that are happening, and this is one that I really appreciate. A few months ago, Chi Alpha, I got saved in Chi Alpha. It's a Christian ministry organization. We support um, the Gibsons. They are missionaries right here in Colorado Springs to Chi Alpha. They, they had their national conference, and this conference is designed to accomplish one thing. Call Christian um, college graduates, not from Christian universities, but from universities all over the United States, to one year of missions. 
to dedicate one year. I mean, you graduate with a degree in business or a degree in, in um, uh, right before you go to medical school, you, between pre-med medical school, you, t- you give a year to missions and you pray about what else God wants you. They had their conference a handful of months ago. And at this conference, <clears throat> whereas Bible schools are producing 10, 15, 20 students per year into missions, this one conference, they do it every year, this one conference this year alone, over 2,500 college graduates said, I'll give a year to missions. That's a counter movement within our missions movement. And I'm excited about this because these are 23, 24-year-olds that are saying, I'll go where nobody else will go. I don't want to be, I don't want to be the assistant director of a Bible school in the Bahamas. I, send me to Afghanistan. And that's what we're getting on board with at Church of Briargate is these people, I keep wanting to call them kids or not kids or adults, but to me they seem like kids are my, my kids' age. And they're saying, we'll go. We'll go where you need us to go. We'll learn languages. We'll do without. And then the Schultz that are going to be here tonight, they, they, they're taking little kids, little babies with them. They're going into northern India where they really do have some challenges and some difficulties. The Medfords, we support them. They're... <coughs> I was about to say their country. I won't say their country, but they're going to an extremely sensitive Muslim country, and they got little baby kids. And they're uprooting everything. They're leaving grandmas and grandpas. And by the way, not all grandmas and grandpas are okay with this. They, they, my, my in-laws left to be missionaries at 48, and my, my father-in-law's mother, Linda's grandmother, couldn't stand that her entire life. In fact, the missionaries that convinced them, the Yorks, John and Joy York, she almost hated those people because they convinced them to go to the mission field. At 50! Think about grandparents, your kids coming to you, and you, you got nine-year-old grandkids, and they say, oh, we, we think God's called us to go to, to um, Kyrgyzstan. We'll see you in four years. That's not easy. These people are heroes. They are sacrificing a lot of things that we just kind of take for granted. Elizabeth Elliot said, I'm going to go right back to the people who killed my husband. In fact, um, uh, a movie was made about this. It was a a little bit of differences in some of the parts of the story that I'm talking about. But the movie called The uh, End of the Spear or The Tip of the Spear. One of those, somebody help me, End of the Spear. End of the Spear. Um, was about this story here. And, and one of the interesting things is they, they brought, Nate Saints, I think his son and stuff like that, brought um, uh, w- one of the villagers to, from Ecuador to the United States to be part of this missions tour. And it was actually one of the villagers that killed the five guys. Elizabeth Elliot met, witnessed to, and, and won to the Lord the guy that killed her husband. That's, that's hero status. And that's part of what we want to get behind is we've got heroes right now and, and, and young people that are, that are stepping up and, and heading to the mission field. And we have missionaries that have been doing this for decades. We've got missionaries right now that should retire, but they're not going to. They're going to stay in the Philippines. They're going to stay in Africa. They're going to, they're, and I'm not saying that that missionaries that retire bad, there are no circumstances. In fact, that kind of makes sense. 
that I know missionaries. In fact, I got a letter this week of a missionary. I won't mention her name, but she, she's been in Saudi Arabia for a long, long time, a couple decades almost now. And I just got a letter that she is heading now to a more difficult Muslim country as a single woman to be a missionary. That's mind-boggling to me. And I asked her, this was 15 years ago, and I asked her one time, I said, what about, you know, like getting married, having kids, doing all that kind of stuff? And she said, oh, I, I, I want all those things. I like all that, but I just want to do what God has told me. And until God tells me I can do that, this is my life. Think about that. We, we, are, we know another missionary that was in South America for 40 years and is, and is processing the idea of retiring. She keeps trying to retire, but she keeps going back down there. At what point? I mean, 95? Is that an age when you find to say, I'm going to retire? See, what happens is, and we're going to read this this, this, this thing gets in your spirit and your heart. And when I was sitting there as an eight, nine-year-old kid, God called me to ministry. And at the time, I wanted to be a missionary. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a missionary. In fact, for years and years when people would say, ask me anything, yeah, I'm called in ministry. What are you going to be, a missionary? Lynn and I both, when we first started dating, we both felt like we were called to be missionaries. Now, I realize over time, by the way, I still would do that, okay? That's, that is my heartbeat. In fact, one of the problems I have is when we have a missionary come for service, that's why I'm called for the next couple months. It doesn't matter where. That's why I'm called turkey. I love turkey. You know I hate turkey, but the, the, the bird. But I... I I called the turkey. They, somebody else comes through. Uh, Ukraine, I'm called to Ukraine. Somebody comes through. Uh, Nigeria, I'm called to Nigeria. And what I've realized over the years, Linda and I both, is we were actually called to help people like you and I um, mobilize missionaries all over the world. Missionaries need pastors that believe in missions too. All right? And so that's, I, I feel like I'm saying, oh, that's what God let me, do. you know, I kind of am. But I would be a missionary. I would. I, I love that. And, and the day it started, I remember sitting there when Elizabeth told the story to our church. Elizabeth Elliott told the story to our church and explained to us and showed this little uh, movie called uh, Through the Gates of Splendor. You can actually go online. I looked up this week to make sure you can go online and watch this movie. It's black and white. It's a little rough in, in some areas. Um, but, but it's this story. Powerful. Powerful story. Because I saw a woman that was living, literally willing to commit everything. So my like, guys, this is where it comes to us. I, I really believe that God has called us to be ministers and, and, and pres, presenters of the gospel. But we're also called to support missionaries that, grow, that go cross-cultural. That's part of our... our and, and part of it also, <clears throat> some of the stuff I'm saying, I want you to feel a little guilty and convicted too that sometimes we get... We get caught up in our own little world and our own little Christianity in America, and we're so pampered. We are so pampered in Christianity in America that, that church is all about what makes me happy, and Christianity is about what's the next thing for me, and what is God going to do for me, and me, and me, and me, and, and, and then we start picking on things, right? Start picking on other people. Start picking on other Christians, other churches. <clears throat> start picking on the pastor of this church. No, I really don't get that that often. I'm, I mean, I do sometimes, but you're just being jerks. But, but the reality of this is we, we really have humanistic approach to Christianity. It's very selfish sometimes. It's about me. It's about me. It's about me. 
Instead of saying, Jesus, you've given us this amazing thing called the gospel. Let me be about them. The Elliots were about them. The Schultz that are going to be here tonight, they're about them. Two, two of my heroes in the faith right now are Dr. Matthews and Jerry Tuttle. They're right now in India, 77 and 83. These guys could just retire and enjoy. They've both been very successful and have nice little um, bank accounts that, are <coughs> that would make them very comfortable to have a nice retired lifestyle. And both of them have said, my life is going to be about the gospel. I'm going to spend my money, my hard-earned money, on people knowing Jesus. And I'm going to get other people to spend their money on people knowing Jesus. That's hero stuff. That's people you can get behind. That's mentalities that you can emulate and say, that's, that's what I want to be. We've got heroes. We've got heroes of the faith. We've got heroes that we send to other countries, and we need to be a part of this. And let me show you this, this picture of this map. This is uh, Paul's missionary journeys. Now, this is Italy over here. You see the Mediterranean. You see the top over into Turkey. And uh, again, I like the country. I just like the bird. And then down into Israel, Egypt along the top, uh, North Africa along there. Um, all these little lines and dots and places are, are places that Paul went. Thousands of miles that Paul took. This was with boats, with sails, no motors, sails, and on foot. Thousands of miles for one reason, because he needed to get the gospel to people. Now let's go to the moment when this happened with Paul. Paul's um, um, traveling to put Christians in jail and all this other kind of stuff. And God, uh, Jesus speaks to Paul <clears throat> from heaven, shines a light, blinds him, does all this stuff. And then he says, now Paul, I want you to go to Ananias. And then God goes to Ananias and begins to talk to Ananias. He said, Paul's coming. This is what he says in Acts chapter 9. Verse 15, he said, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Saul slash Paul knew this from day one. This is not going to be easy. But I've called you. What are you going to do with this? I've called you. Now, I believe that God has called every single one of us to be witnesses to Gentiles and, and Jews. What does that mean? Everybody, because that's all the groups of the planet. There was Jews and there was everybody else, and that was considered the Gentiles, right? Anybody that wasn't a Jew. So we're called to tell people about Jesus. Now, do I believe that that makes us a missionary? No. I, 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 we're not doing the cross-cultural. We're not doing the, the sacrificial mentality uh, oftentimes. We're just trying to tell our, our friends and our coworkers about Jesus Christ. Paul is going cross-cultural. Paul was stepping into arenas, into people groups that didn't have the background that he did with the Jewish faith and all the understanding of this, and he is growing, going cross-cultural. Now, let's jump down to Romans chapter 15. <clears throat> and Paul says in verse 16, I'm a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. And this is this category of missionary that I think is important. They are special messengers. I believe all of us in here are messengers. We're all messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then there are special messengers, and I believe those are missionaries. And I, and I believe that we have an obligation to do a few things. One of them, first off the bat, one of them is to respect and almost revere what they do. There is that written into this. God has 
God is, is calling them and using them in ways that is extremely challenging sometimes. Very sacrificial in a lot of different ways. I, I know from just having, when, when Linda's parents went to be missionaries, Linda and I had, had um, just got married when they started the process. We found out that Jonathan, our oldest, that we were pregnant with Jonathan the day they left. Linda literally is, she, we go to East Texas, we're about to sit, put them on the plane down in Houston to head to Africa. Linda takes a pregnancy test, finds out she's pregnant, I think the day before. She finds out she's pregnant the day before. They get on a plane and leave, and we don't see them for years. You know how difficult that is? And, and that's just challenging. So, he says, I bring you the good news so that I may present you as an acceptable offering to God made by the Holy Spirit. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all that Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me. Bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked at them, by, uh, among them. Now look at this. They, these people that Paul is witnessing to, they were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonder and by the power of God's Spirit. That's what convinced them. It wasn't Paul's talking. That's what gave them the information, but that's not what convinced them. I, I had this conversation 15 years ago with, with a leadership, uh, a person in leadership within the Assemblies of God World Missions. And they were talking about um, taking the gospel to, to a people group, an unreached people group, and they were talking about getting the gospel in and the missionaries, and this was an infancy stage of the gospel going into this people group. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there talking with them about this, and they were saying, well, we need to get the gospel out. And, uh, and then I said something, because I thought we were all on the same page. I said something about and, and making sure that we preach, you know, uh, healing, miracles, and all that kind of stuff. And both of the two missionaries, they stopped and said, wait a second, we don't want to um, distract, potentially distract from the preaching of the gospel by talking about miracles and things like that. I said, what do you mean distract? And they said, well, if we begin to put that as, a, as an important thing and we pray for people and they don't get healed and stuff like that, then it, it can be distracting for the preaching of the gospel. I said, I totally disagree with what you're saying. Completely disagree with what you're saying. That's not biblical model. A biblical model is not just presenting the gospel. A biblical model is then God convinces them with the power of his spirit. God convinces them with wonders, signs, miracles. God convinces them. He says, in this way, I fully presented the good news. You don't fully present the gospel if you think that you can give a story about Jesus and convince them in that. This is one of the things we even struggle with in American church is we think if we get a nice little clean package of Christianity, we say all the right things, we got all the cool elements, and we got all the stuff, and we present it, then people can make a good educated decision. The problem with this is this is a spiritual endeavor that we're trying to convince people on a rational level. Somewhere, we've got to let the Holy Spirit be bigger than just us. We've got to let him be bigger than our church and our thinking and our plans and our patterns and our, and our style or whatever the case is that we think is going to attract people to this thing. It's the Holy Spirit that convinces people. And he does that by miraculous signs and wonders. This is something that we keep, we're leaving out and we think it's okay. 
And I told these guys, the sad part about this is you're, you're starting with the point of, of uh, reference that these missionaries that are telling this story to other people don't have enough faith to also pray for them. You're assuming that day one. That God's not going to answer. There's not going to be miracles. That the Holy Spirit is not going to do what he's done for 2,000 years. And that's follow up this message with signs and wonders. Mark 16, preach the gospel and these signs will follow. They will follow. And Paul says, this is how I'm going to win people that have no understanding or knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is how I'm going to win them to Jesus. I'm going to tell them the, whole, the story, and then the Holy Spirit's going to do really cool stuff. And then they're going to go, oh, yeah, I'll buy this. I, I also believe right now, you're going to come in contact with people. You do. You, you just may not know it. There are people all over Colorado Springs that have no clue who Jesus is. Some have never even heard his name. Some know the name, but they don't know the story. They don't know who Jesus is. One of the misconceptions that I found when I first moved here was that there's a lot of people in Colorado Springs that think Colorado Springs is a Christian city. It's not a Christian city. It's a very unreached, lost city. There's just a lot of Christians in it. Which shouldn't, that's, that should be dichotomous, right? You got a lot of Christians, there should be a lot of people being reached. There are people that have no clue who Jesus is. Guess what's going to convince them? You tell them, and then the Holy Spirit's going to do some cool stuff and convince them. That's the story. My ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard, rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. This is, this is another thing that I, that I think is amazing about Paul. Paul, didn't, he went where nobody was. Him and James T. Kirk, they, they searched out places where no one had gone before. And, and this is a big deal. In fact, this was, this was a big thing for me. And, and just to let you know, this is a heartbeat of mine that someday I'm still going to see happen and follow through. But in our last church, when we were there, um, you know, nowadays churches plant other churches all over the place, right? Like, like you know, first whatever church of the corner or whatever. They, they, they'll recreate themselves like 10 times over and plant little satellites of themselves all over cities. I don't guess that's a bad thing. I, I kind of question that sometimes. Because sometimes we, we, we plant a church right on the corner or whatever, and the three other churches that were the, on those other four, the three corners all closed down. Something's something not right. Well, I've never thought like that. We started planting satellite churches in our last church, but we put them in little rural communities. We realized that rural communities had, did not have access to churches and gospel. And, and we started doing our studies, and there was about 15 cities in eastern Colorado and um, western Kansas that had no church within 45 miles of them. And so we started looking for these communities and planting churches in these communities, satellite location of ourselves. I would like to do that again someday. Um, I, don't, I don't believe that now is the time, and I'm not trying to present that, but I, that's just always been my heartbeat. I pastored a rural church before, and I know what that feels like, and I know what the people there feel like, and, uh, and they get left out. And it's difficult to get pastors to go to rural churches nowadays. It's difficult. And we got churches that close down, and then communities. You can go three or four cities in, in eastern Colorado in a row, three or four cities, no churches in them. That's not good. That, to me, that's what Paul, it's not quite the same, but it's kind of what Paul is saying. I want to go where not everybody else is. We don't need another church at Briargate in downtown. Like, ten churches on the north side of Springs all have churches in downtown. 
We don't need another one. Although ours would be cooler. But we don't need another one. You do understand that's actually the motivation a lot of times. But ours will be cooler. That's, that's your vision. So I, that's, I didn't want to get off on that kind of stuff. But, and yet I did. I have been following the plan spoken of in Scripture where it says, those who have never been told about him will see and those who have never heard of him will understand. In fact, my visit to you has been delayed so long because I've been preaching in these places. When the Elliots went and established the gospel in this village in Ecuador, nobody had ever been there before. Nobody. They murder Jim and Elizabeth goes back to that village. That's the kind of thinking and heartbeat that we want to get behind and support. That we've got missionaries right now on that wall out there that we support that are going all over the world where the gospel has never been. That's where we're going to put our resources. That's where we're going to get behind this. Okay. So, with all of that said, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, he says, In the same way, the Lord ordered those who preach the good news that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Now, that's, this is an important thing. We've got to support the preaching of the gospel. Now, I'm going to show you one of the things we're going to do with this church we're planning in Rappahut, which really um, is, a, is a, they don't really have a church. I mean, they have a church there, but they don't. And we're, we're actually going to pay the salary of this pastor for a little while. And then we're going to graduate it out till it's, there, it's not being paid by our church. Why? Because that gospel needs to go into that community, and that community needs to support that pastor. This is a biblical model. It's not that we don't want to financially help them. We are going to do a lot of things to help that pastor for a long time, okay? But for a church to get it and to be healthy, they've got to understand that they are responsible for things, and one of those is to financially support their pastor, this is, a, this is a big scriptural deal. And this is what Paul is saying. And then, it looks like he's disagreeing, but he's not. But hang on with me. He says in verse 15, <clears throat> Yet I have never used any of these rights, being supported. I'm not writing this to suggest that I want to start now. In fact, I would rather die than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. He's not going to charge people. Now, part of the concept of this part of the letter is to get them to give him an offering. Did you know that? But what he's saying, and, and I don't think he's being... Um, hypocritical or manipulative. I don't think what he's saying is the gospel needs to be supported. I don't like that. I don't want to feel like I get paid to preach. That's what he's saying. But he's not saying it shouldn't happen. He's just saying, this is how I look at this. I, I kind of get this. And this is, this is about me just a little bit, but I, <clears throat> I want you to understand a bigger picture. This is, this is not about me about me. It's just about me. But um, I, there's, years ago when I used to preach, I don't really go places and preach. In fact, I've had some some guys that are wanting me to go preach right now, and I just, man, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like God is telling me to do that. I'll go preach at their church if God tells me to, but, but I got one guy that's just, he talks to me all the time about this. Come preach at my church. If I go preach, I, and, and I used to do that more often, but if I go preach, they'll say, okay, what kind of honorarium do you want? What do you want to get paid to preach? And I'll tell them, I don't, I don't want anything. I've said that many times. I don't want anything. I'll come preach. If you want to give me something, fine. If you don't, Fine. I have, I have done hundreds of weddings over the years. I've been paid for a handful, probably less than five. Now, when I say that to pastors, they're like, no, Scott, you need to let them pay you or make them pay you. Know, that's, it's, they're getting. But here's what I do. This is, there's a reason. It's not because I'm awesome spiritual. There's a reason. 
Because I tell them, most of the people that come to me to get married are not Christians. Most. And uh, I'll tell them, I will marry them if they will go through my pre-married counseling. And the pre-married counseling is all about Jesus. That's what, that's what marriage is, all about Jesus. And I've never, ever had a couple go through my pre-married counseling and didn't get saved. So when people say, will you marry, uh, will you marry unsaved people? Sure. But I never have. <laughs> Why? Because they get saved. That's my point. So then they say, well, we, what can we pay you? What can we pay you? Um, now, if it's church people, every now and then, I'll let them pay me something, you know, because, you know. But they say, what can we pay you? And I will tell them, if you will come to church, that's, that's what you owe me. If you'll come to church, we're good. You don't owe me anything. Hundreds of weddings over the years. I can make a living doing weddings. So I understand what Paul is talking about here. I don't, I don't want to get paid for this. Now, don't misunderstand. I want to get paid for this. <laughs> I don't want to get paid for this. But I understand what Paul's saying, but I don't want to get paid for this. I don't want to get paid for this, but I do want to get paid for this. So let's not confuse that. So <clears throat> he says, yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. You understand this is the gospel of Jesus. This is Jesus' gospel. This is not our gospel. This, this is something that Jesus has called him to do. Then he says, I'm compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. If I were doing this on my own initiative, I would deserve payment, but I have no choice, for God has given me the sacred trust. What then is my pay? It's the opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone. That's why I never demand my rights when I preach the good news. And here's the key for how it works with our missionaries. Let's go back to the first sentence. That the Lord ordered those that who preach the good news should be supported. Okay? So here's the deal. When we send these missionaries into China, we don't want them to feel like they have to be paid by Chinese people, at least at first. And so we pay them so that they, they can preach the gospel without charging. Do you see what we're doing? They're not charging where they're going, but they still have to, to eat and they have kids and so we're going to support them because that's what God says is support them. So, guys, that's what we're doing. That's what church at Bargate is going to be about is we are going to support missionaries. We're going to be a hero to heroes. We're going to support these heroes as they go into these places and they do difficult things and they, and they put their family at risk and all these things. We're going to make sure that one of the things they don't have to worry about is, is where their next meal is coming from. They may have to worry about government things, may have to worry about some fear of this, but they're not going to have to worry about eating and giving clothes to their kids and Christmas presents and things like that. In fact, I'll tell you something. If you want to really connect with a missionary and do, uh, and do something big in a missionary's heart, call them up sometime and say, hey, what do your kids want for Christmas this year? And ship a couple of Christmas presents over and throw some Doritos in there. That's a big one for missionaries. You may not know that. That's a big one. Throw some Doritos in the back because they're like, oh, you gave us a brand new I, Doritos, you know, that kind of thing. Keys to a car, Doritos. <laughs> I'm telling you, talk to missionaries about this. <laughs> peanut butter, that's a big one. Peanut butter, not American peanut butter that doesn't separate and look all weird and taste all funny. You know, American peanut butter. Here's the deal, guys. We have the opportunity. Please, please listen to my heart here. We have the opportunity to connect with missions. You got this in your, in your, um, in your bulletin. Does anybody need one? This is a, a commitment form for missions. Anybody need one that does not have one? Anybody need one that doesn't have one? Raise your hand. Everybody got one. Okay. 
Here's the deal with this. My passion for this, my passion for you with this, and our church's desire and our missions team's desire with missions is that every single person, not every family, but every single person, from children to youth to adults at Church of Briargate, we want you involved with missions. We want you praying and we want you giving. We want you involved. You say, this is really tight right now. We don't have a lot of extra finances. You know, Christmas is coming up. I get that. I know what it is to go through some very difficult, tight times. I know that. So here's my suggestion. Just start with $5. A dollar. A dollar. And commit to it and give it. The reason is because, now this sounds a little new agey, but this, I believe this is <clears throat> legitimate. This, this thing called the gospel moving forward, this light that is shining across the planet and building the kingdom of God one soul at a time. When you financially contribute to that and you pray for that, you get to be part of that thing. Souls that get saved, you get to be a part of that. When you stand before God, you're a part of that. When you're giving financially, God sees that and he honors that and he'll bless you. I know, I know he will bless you. I don't think that's why you should give and so I don't go into that a whole lot. But I know God's going to honor and bless you. But the big picture of this is we want every single person, Pastor Mary and Anthony, teach the kids about missions. We want the kids involved in missions. I know that they give in their classes, they give BGMC money. We want kids understanding mission. We want teenagers giving to missions. The teenagers support um, Forrest Rao. He's a missionary. That, that is, the, the church doesn't support him. They support him. They also give to speed the light. We want you adults. We want every single person, Church of Bargate, giving to missions. And so we want you to take this. Put your name on it. If you can do it right now, you can do it right now. If you're going to be at the banquet tonight, please be at the banquet tonight. If you're going to be at the banquet, save it till then. <clears throat> but if you're not going to be at the banquet, fill this out and say, this is what I'm going to do for 2018. Now, it's, you got your name. You keep the small side. You give us the big one, I think. And uh, so when you fill that out, you put that in there. It's not like... It's a pledge, and we're going to call you four months from now. Uh, Christine, you haven't given your missions money this month. That's not, that's not what it is. It's, that is totally between you and God, okay? Totally between you and God. We just do this so we can get numbers. One of the things, and I do need to mention this, one of the things about our missions, we give thousands and thousands of dollars to missions every single month. Uh, about half of that is supported by us in this church. Most of it, well, at least about half of it, actually comes from our general tithe fund. It doesn't come from support from uh, our church, which we, it needs to, that needs to change. We need more support from the church. And that's why if you want to support a specific missionary, we'll do that too. But we would like to encourage you just to give to missions. So I'm going to give $50 a month to missions. Just give it to missions, and then we can cover all these missionaries that we're already supporting at a lot of money every single month. And then you get to be a part of this thing. Okay. So we want you to grab this, fill it out, think about this, pray about this. We're going to pray here in a second, and then do something about this. Be involved. Every single one of us be involved. So stand with me. This is two things that I think. First, missionaries are our heroes, and two, we should support them. It's really that simple. They're our heroes. We should support them. So let's pray. God, open up our spirit to this. We need you to, um, <clears throat> we need you to speak to us about this, God. Lord, we, we've got so many amazingly gifted, called, wonderful missionaries. Lord, we need your help. We need your help to stir in our hearts and our minds to support them financially, to support them in prayer. 
God, we thank you. The stuff we're trying to do in India, that we support this. In Jesus' name. Lord, so every single person, kid, teenager, every single adult in here, Lord, stir our hearts right now to, to consider this, to think about this, and to give. To financially contribute and support those that are preaching the gospel around the planet. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity. We thank you for the trust. Lord, we ask you to help us with this in Jesus' name. Help us. And God, I pray that Church of Berg, that every person, Church of Berg, it will believe in missions and that we will be a missions-giving church. In Jesus' name. We thank you so much. So, Lord, open our hearts right now. Speak to every person here. What do you want them to do? How do you want them to do this right now? And then, God, help them to step out in faith and to believe this and be sacrificial about it. Thank you so much in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we're going to have somebody standing at the back. I don't have my glasses on. I can't tell. We're going to have somebody standing at the back to take these from you as you leave. Um, if you are coming tonight and you want to fill this out for tonight, just tell them, back up. I'm bringing it tonight. And then they will not take it from you. So, uh, grab one of these. Please fill it out. Maybe take it home this week, you and you and the spouse, or, or pray about it this week and bring it back next week and say, this is what I'm going to do for 2018. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. He's also going to give you an opportunity to support a missionary. Do the best you can with that, and God will honor that in your life. We will see you tonight at the missions banquet. Have a great rest of your afternoon. Also, if we could get a few guys to help us move some chairs, that'd be great.